I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Dear listeners, it's the number one mental health podcast in Estonia. That's right. It's Holy Shit, I Have ADHD with Robbie McDonald and Jordan Lane. And this week, we actually have a guest in the studio, the studio, the booth, the Zoom call with us. John Shadler is uh, an award-winning author and editor and publisher um, based out of Monterey, California and was diagnosed with ADHD around Robbie's age in his 50s. John actually came to Robbie's and my attention um, as a listener who wrote an, an email to say how much he related to the show. And of course, you know, we just being starved for positive feedback um, just latched onto him like a couple of more or remoras on a shark. And uh, yeah, and and insisted that he come on the show as our first stranger to join us. Um, everybody <laughs> else so far has been known to Robbie and I. So this is going to be a fun uh, experiment for us and hopefully a fun experience for you, John. Uh, John Shadler, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I didn't know you guys were so big in Estonia. That's great news. Congratulations. The nice thing about those tiny markets is, is I suspect it's literally one person who has found the show <laughs> this week and listened to like 10 episodes and that's enough to do that bump in Estonia. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> It's all about the spin. It's all about the glitz and the glamour, right? So exactly. It. Oh yeah, we're all those... glitz and glamour over here. <laughs> <laughs> the branding, the marketing package. Yeah. I so Jordan, Robbie, before we go any further, I have to say my daughter Anna loves your laugh so much. We were listening to the podcast while we were driving around, and every time you would laugh, she would just turn to me with the biggest grin on her face. Oh my goodness! So much. I have goosebumps hearing that. Thank you so much because um, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. I hate well, it. It's the way it goes for all of us, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the sound of my own voice. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> and I love your voice too, Straight Jordan. Up. And my mom loves somebody. your voice. There, there has to be someone. Thanks, Jordan. Um, I will say, John, uh, I sent Robbie a screen cap of a text that my mom sent me the other day about how much she liked Robbie's laugh as well. There you uh, go. How it, she always smiles uh, when she hears it during the outro. So yeah, Robbie, oh. that's one of your many gifts to the world. Yeah, Jordan, uh, just uh, to kind of back at you, my mom was saying you sound like a movie star. So there you go. Well, there you, <laughs> you got go. that big I'll kind of booming someday. voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great pair. Great great pairing of voices. So one of the things that we talked a little bit about email is um, your career in the creative professions, uh, you know, publishing, writing, all these sorts of things, and how ADHD has really been a double-edged sword in those because it gives you access to certain kinds of uh, creative tools, let's call it, because your brain works differently that neurotypical people don't have access to. And that's something that in my own life, um, you know, I didn't, understand why um, I didn't get how other people 
couldn't think like me in improv and, and just like, I didn't know that my brain just literally works differently and not everybody has this weird filing cabinet of references that are all a fingertip away. Like, um, so, so yeah, but then also of course, all of the stress that comes along with that stuff and, and the self doubt and needing to really kind of stay motivated and keep on top of yourself. That stuff is very tough with ADHD. So I think that's kind of going to be um, one of the things we touch on a bunch here is, is just, yeah, your life in the creative arts and mm -hmm. um, how you in retrospect now kind of see ADHD having impacted that. And yeah, I'm just kind of curious about all that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, what you just said is a great place to start because I also have never understood how other people, uh, you know, neurotypical brain works, because obviously that's not my internal experience. I, I remember the first time I heard the phrase, think outside the box. And my first reaction was, wait, there is a box. What, what, what does that mean? Like, what is the box? So yeah, it's, it's that ability to just sort of reach out and grab seemingly random things, which at times can be truly random and nobody else understands, but other times can be like, wow, I didn't think of that. That's, that's really smart. That's, that's brilliant. You know, and to you, it's just like, well, okay, that was, that was just in this random filing cabinet in the back corner of my brain. And I pulled it out and looked at it. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel necessarily like anything special in that moment, but maybe when you get a chance to step back and look at it, you can go, oh yeah, I, I see how that works. One example of that, that I kind of, I've been coming back to this a lot lately. Um, with like so many people with ADHD, um, my educational career was, you know, one part disaster and one part semi-okay. And uh, in retrospect, it's like, well, duh, there was clear, there were signs for ADHD all over the place, but nobody ever caught them. And I want to acknowledge my privilege there because I think without my white privilege, I could have very easily ended up in that uh, school to prison pipeline and ended up in some serious serious mm -hmm. trouble. So I'm, I'm very thankful personally that that, I, that that didn't happen. But um, all of that said, you know, my, my approach to school was always, I always was trying to game the system. I was always trying to do as little work as possible to get credit for it, get the grade and move on to something else. And one of the examples for me that is most clear in that is when I was in fourth grade and we were doing the the multiplication tests where it's all the two digit things, you know, four times one, eight times three, and you just would go through this sheet and have to answer all of those. So somewhere along the line, I, I was like, okay, any number times zero is zero. Any number time one times one is itself. So I would get the test and I would just go through and fill in all the zeros. I didn't do it in order at all. I'd just be like, put in all the zeros where I see a zero, put in all the number where I see that number times one, and then, you know, fives, five, 10, 15, 20. So I could do those pretty quickly. And then it left not that many that I really had to know by the time I had blown through all those. So I'd fill those in. And then, you know, a lot of times it was the test was right before recess and the teacher would be like, bring your test up and put it on my desk and then you can go. Well, so I'd go do that and it'd be, you know, the first one to get done every time to the extent that the teacher thought I was cheating. She was like, how, how is this kid cheating? What's going on here? But for me, like I said, it was just like, I have two choices. I can sit in math class taking this test or I can be done with it and go out to recess. So duh, I'm gonna finish it and go out to recess. <laughs> so um, 
And the weird part there is then I, I sort of got branded as, oh, this kid's got a great aptitude for math. It's like, no, I don't have an aptitude for math. I have an aptitude for doing as little work as possible. That, that's how I did that. So um, I, I have no idea to this day if other people use that system or it's one of those math tricks that people teach you. But for me, like I said, it was just all about turning the work in and getting the heck out of there. And I kind of approached my entire education that way. You know, when I was older and had to do book reports on uh, different, you know, American or Western classics, I would look to see if, if a book was published by um, Classics Illustrated Comic Books, I'd pick that book and then I'd go home and I'd read the comic book in about 20 or 30 minutes, write out a bunch of stuff, turn it in and be done. You know, I didn't, why, why read the whole entire book? I can read one that's really long with no pictures or I can read a short version that gets to the essence with pictures. Duh, I'm gonna choose the one with pictures that's shorter. So that was, that was my, I mean, I, I like learning. I think like, again, like a lot of people with um, ADHD, when we're into something, when we are like a topic, we can really, really get deep into it. But um, sorry, school system, a lot of the topics you chose were just not that interesting. You know, yeah. so I, I do something else instead. So the math thing, how I wish you sat next to me in math classes, because <laughs> I just struggled and I just never got there. Had I known that you could game the system, I would have been all over it. Dang. That's my ceiling. That, that was about as far as my math career went. Um, by the time I got into algebra, none of that made any sense, you know. It's kind of like those um, those logic puzzles of you know Mr. Green sits across from Mr. White and Mr. White will only sit down here and just be like throw yeah. up your hands and forget it. This this makes no sense. You know, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to relate to there, and um, something that I'm starting to see with that kind of stuff is is I'm almost thinking about it as like a systems thinking mindset. And I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but um, it's it's like your you're, you you look you look at this thing holistically. It's not about getting the right answer to each question. It's about getting a high score on the test. That's what determines your outcome. So you look at it and you're like, okay, how can I build a structure or a system for me to maximize my efficiency at doing this? And that's incredibly smart to just like knock out the easy stuff first that effectively does itself. And then you narrow your pool. And then even if you don't finish all the questions, you're probably still going to pass because you've got a hundred percent on 60% of the questions that you just kind of blaze through. It's, mm. it's incredibly smart. And I'm, yeah, I'm just like, I'm thinking more and more of my own life like that and my own kind of approach to thinking about things as just like having, having the duality of being able to zoom out macro and look at this thing as a whole and look like, okay, what's my desired outcome and how do I get there with the least amount of work? Because this thing isn't that interesting and my energy has its limits too. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that that's so clever and relatable. I wish I'd come up with something that specific though. <laughs> <laughs> And again, it was one of those things where I, I, if you would have asked me at that time, I would have thought, well, that's the way everybody does it. Isn't, isn't that just the way you do it? I didn't, I didn't really think of it as clever or different or unique. It's just the way that I did it. And mm -hmm. um, I, I basically, every multiple choice test and things like that, even the ACT uh, college test and those things, I would do it the same way where I would just blow through, I would just skim all the questions, Mark the ones, okay, like I know this one, I know this one, I know this one, and then go back and 
do the ones that I, that I couldn't, um, that I had to think more about. And so in that case, that, that sort of antsiness and that, that um, energy, that just that explosion of energy yeah. when you're doing something like taking a test, that really worked to my advantage, I think, because I, I was able to, to like you're saying, um, uh, employ a system or a strategy that at least it worked best for me. You know, maybe for other people that would be completely wrong, but, but for me, it worked quite well. It's interesting too that it's sorry, Robbie. Um, uh, that it's based in pattern recognition. You're looking for the zeros, then the ones, then the twos. Um, sorry, Robbie, continue. <laughs> no, just that that's something that I don't ever think to do, and I've heard it said time and time again um, as a kind of a piece of advice for people with ADHD is that the easiest way is the best way, um, and. And we often don't, uh, I specifically know that I don't do that is that sometimes I'll look for the hardest way because I feel like if I'm making all this effort that somehow things have more merit or more value or that I'm going to be more appreciated. Um, but the fact is like, that's not really true. Like, cause I've so many times in my life got caught up in all the minutia of things instead of like getting up to the higher level where the juicy stuff is. And then I, when things don't, when things go sideways, I feel like I failed because I spent all this time in the weeds instead of like up in the, you know, in the clouds, like where the, all the good revelatory type things are. So I'm definitely learning and trying to kind of get more into that. Like the easiest way forward is the best way forward. And if there's a system that works to like use that system, because the system is, is useless if you're not, if you're not putting it to use. Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Exactly. That's one of the things I've been, um, I keep coming back to a lot lately is, you know, we have this, our toolbox or our systems that we use to, to navigate the day-to-day -day world. And I don't know about you guys, but for me consistently, the times when you most need that toolbox are also the times you're least apt to stop, think about it and use those tools. You know, you're anxious, you're amped up, and then you just react rather than, taking that step back, taking a deep breath and going, okay, what tools do I have to address this right now? And I, I hate to say it, but I constantly find myself in that position where I'll, I'll, I'll be a certain ways down the road and I'll be like, oh yeah, I have a system for this. Oh yeah, I have a tool to deal with this, you know, but it's, it's definitely not the, um, it's definitely not top of mind. You know, I guess it's a, it's a lifetime of, of reacting and flying by the seat of your pants and trying to get by, you know, and, and it's hard, I think, to, to change that behavior, that core behavior that's so almost hardwired into us. Hmm. Yeah, you were saying earlier that you um, were often a little bit baffled by the so-called kind of neurotypical way of doing things. Um, did you find that you, um, and sometimes this term is, um, could be problematic, but did you find that you were masking or pretending or just kind of mimicking, mirroring how other people did things so that you could fit in? Or did you just say, oh, fuck it, I'm not like these folks anyway, I'm just going to do what I do? Well, cer certainly there were times of both. There were, there were definitely some of those like punk rock moments, like screw the system, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't need to play by your rules. But mm. there were other times when it was um, definitely, I, I, I wouldn't say that I was looking to other necessarily real human beings for role models, but um, 
because I love fiction and I actually majored in theater in college, I, I mm. would literally act like what I thought that part was supposed to be. You know, if mm. I'm in a business, if I'm in a business setting, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, tap into my inner George Clooney or something and say, okay, this is what a business person looks like. This is how a business person acts and just do that, you know? Um, and I, I, uh, I suppose in a way I thought of it as masking. I definitely thought of it as like not getting found out, you know, like I don't want to get mm. busted. You know, that, I, I know you guys have, we've all talked about that a lot with the imposter syndrome and, mm -hmm. you know, for, for years and years and years, even in places where I was relatively successful or perhaps even more so in places where I was successful, I was just constantly on edge of like, I've gotten lucky. I've gotten by, I've made it this far. What happens when somebody all of a sudden, you know, puts me to the test and goes, Hey, can you do such and such? And I'd be like, ah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You, you, you figured me out. I'm sorry. So, um, so yeah, it was a lot of sort of not quite bravado, but almost like portraying confidence so that hopefully nobody would dig a little deeper and, and, or in my mind, you know, I didn't want them to dig deeper and, and see what was really there. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. It's it's almost like adopting archetypes kind of showing up for for this role with with modeled modeled off of something that you've seen. It's a really interesting way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that was that was really yeah, archetypes is a is a great way to put it because um <laughs> In the neurotypical world, people don't seem to get all that bored with cliches. <laughs> you're a business person who's very well spoken and you dress nicely and you say please and thank you. Great. You're a perfect business person. You know, it's, it's just that, that's the mold and that's what people expect and what they want. And so why not give it to them? Yeah. That's that's basically it. Yeah. Well, we had this whole conversation with a friend last night um, who is, you know, she's running her own business now, but we got into this whole like... <clears throat> how you physically present um, and right down to your haircut and everything. And like in sort of corporate settings that that is more or less an expectation. Um, and I've certainly bought into it too. And when I first moved to Vancouver, you know, I was wearing all the little suits and running around all these like board of yeah. trade things, um, feeling like an imposter the whole time, of course. Um, but then what I remembered is like a lot of people has had this discussion this year that work can be done and work can be done incredibly well in yoga pants right. and a tank top or whatever, sometimes in your underwear, although I wouldn't advise that, but like, you know, like, I think that that's a really interesting thing that people have sort of gotten away from this idea that you have to look the part to be the part. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, absolutely. And that's more of like a higher level kind of discussion. But I think, I think um, I spent my whole life trying to like adopt the uniform of the thing that I'm trying to do. Yeah whether that would be like the punk rock thing or the emo thing or the hippy dippy thing or whatever it was. And now I'm kind of like, I don't care if my shit matches, like it's comfortable <laughs> and there's no tags scratching the back of my neck. So we're good to go. I can go have a day. I've heard you guys talk about the tags before and I, ha I have to interject on this, on this tangent. Weirdly, the tags on my clothes don't necessarily bother me a whole lot, but if there's a tag on a bath towel or a dish towel, it drives me completely insane. I have no idea why but I have to cut that tag off right away. It's just like, no, I can't handle it. Get off there, tag. So I don't know what that's all about. Maybe, maybe one of the listeners will, will uh, write in and solve that one for me and say, oh yeah, it's because of such and such. 
I actually have the same compulsion. I, I don't uh, generally take tags off of my clothes, um, uh, partly because I just usually wear a t-shirt underneath. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, like like dish towels, um, even just like like J cloths or whatever you call them, just rags around the house. They can't have those little paper tags on them. They gotta come <laughs> off. They absolutely have to come off. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 just a, a weird kind of yeah. It's it's one of those little kind of overlaps, I think, of just having these weird little specific um, uh, rituals or or things that you need in your life. That's like a common feature of ADHD, autism, OCD, a yeah. lot of kind of expressions of neurodivergence that 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 are just so distracting. It's like unless and until that is done, it's just in the back of your mind. Totally, that tag is on the dish towel. I need to remove it. You know, it's like, right. Go yeah. Ten minutes later, it's back in there. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah, I can't handle if there's like something happening even on the other side of the room. Um, say I'm having uh, coffee or something like that. And there's something on the other side of the room that needs to be done that could be done later, but it needs to be done now because otherwise I'll just sit stewing about it. Even if I'm in the midst of a conversation, I have to get up. And I remember even at my old job, like my uh, supervisor had a calendar on her wall and she just I don't, she just didn't care if it, she didn't turn it over like to the next mm, month. Mm. And I couldn't cope. We'd like be in this like serious meeting and I'd be like, I can't handle this. Like I have to get up and put that because I don't know what day it is if this calendar doesn't show. <laughs> like, so yeah, all these little things of like needing, like needing to take action on something, which can, like we were talking about earlier, actually take you out of what you need to be doing because you're so obsessed with that one thing, right? Like, yeah. you know. Got to go cut yeah. that tag off that towel, or we're not going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, you get will stop spinning. It will be instant Armageddon. If we don't get that tag off. Armageddon. <laughs> Jordan, were you going to say something? I was there? just going to say you get you get those little bursts of energy, that hyper focus, which, as you said, it means that you can knock out the first half of of a math test in five minutes because you're just doing like autopilot pattern recognition stuff. But then you know uh, when that hyperfocus gets attached to something that doesn't necessarily have any importance or value, but it's still, it doesn't make it less important in your brain. It's still like, this is going to, this is going to nag at me. This is going to fray my rope until I do something about it. So I better go do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it, it's funny. That's a, that's a, two things about that. I, I feel like oftentimes my, uh, scale of when to do something is either immediately or someday in the far distant future when I think about it again. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to my uh, partner quite a bit about this because she's very organized. Um, she, she, you know, is one of the people that has her list of things and she does it during the day and she does it in the order that's logical and makes sense. And, and to me, you know, I, I've, I think she finally gets it now where I've tried to explain to her. It's like, if, if I had a, a list of to-do list items. And first of all, which I don't have nearly as much as I should, but if I had that list <laughs> mm -hmm. and there was like, um, go buy milk and have knee surgery, you know, and those were the two things that were, that I needed to get done that day. They would both be equal to me. There, there there's no sort of weight. There's no, like this one mm. is the clear priority and this should be the focus. And the rest of the stuff is bonus. It's like, it's that executive function thing where things that would seem incredibly obvious to, to other people of like, here's the order, 
here's how you rank these things in terms of importance. Like literally to me, I just look at it and I'm like, well, they're all things that need to be done. So let's start with the one that's the most fun and simplest to do. And then we'll go from there, you know? So it's. Uh, yeah. Prioritizing is not something. Yeah. They all, they all do seem like equally important things, right? <laughs> Knee surgery and buying milk. I got to go do these things now, but uh yeah, maybe I shouldn't have milk before surgery. That probably wouldn't be a good idea, right? <laughs> like, don't even think about that that future piece to it, right? Like we talk about a lot, and I always say this: like, there's now and not right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Those and are the, and the time, like, is just a concept to me. It's kind of this abstract thing, like, and things that I think are going to take me five minutes take me two hours, and things that I think are going to take me two hours take five minutes. So I don't know how to prioritize, right? Right. Right. Like, it's just like, I got to do everything. And just my mind just like gets like flooded with like shit to get done. Jordan, do you do that too? You seem like you're more oh, yeah. organized though than I am. In that uh, I'm, way. Tr I'm trying to get there, but that, that actually, that, that not being able to wait tasks and prioritize and task switch was a huge thing for me uh, in the last couple of years of my job. Um, just cause yeah, like I, um, I was always looking for, because I really, because everything was, was always, always needed to be done and there was never going to be an end to that work. Like there was that, that I was always going to be pushing that boulder up the hill. And so mm -hmm. I would spend an outsized amount of, ta of time on tasks that had the biggest efficiency, like where, where I, where I knew that I was, I was hitting, you know, millions of assets at once and, and doing this uh, keyword change or whatever, um, even if it was low importance, because it has a greater efficacy on the whole system. And so I would always kind of like, that's a big part of how I rationalize it to myself is like, I'm getting the maximum value out of my labor right now. Um, mm. uh, even though it's not necessarily the labor that should be getting done that day. And that was really, really tough for me. So yeah, can mm. definitely relate. Um, so speaking of kind of career stuff, you've mentioned uh, you felt like you were flying by the seat of your pants. Um, you kind of, you, you, you feel like you're not nearly as organized as, as you should be. And yet you, as I said, award-winning editor, author, photographer, director, uh, you've had by all accounts, what looks to be a successful career under your belt. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you want to kind of uh, tell us a bit about that, about kind of your work life and, and how you see ADHD factoring into that? Sure. Sure. Um, let me start by, yeah, on paper, it looks pretty good, right? I got you guys fooled. I, 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 <laughs> it, I, I heard you guys uh, talking about this on your, um, hyper-focus on the positive episode where, uh, that one just struck a chord with me so much because if you were to, you know, if I just met you and we were at a party or whatever, and you said, you know, so what have you done with your life? I, I would just draw a blank. I'd be like, well, I haven't, I haven't really done anything. You know, there's, I, I, I hope I get to do something someday, but so far I haven't really done anything. Mm. If, if I look at it on paper, I can be like, oh, okay, right. Yeah, I did that. Oh, yes, that did actually win an award. Oh, hey, I did that too. But, you know, it's just, on the one hand, I think it's an advantage because I think it does keep us going and keep we keep pushing the envelope and trying new things and all that kind of stuff. You know, we we're, people with ADHD don't tend to rest on their laurels for obvious reasons because we don't stop anyway. But um, mm -hmm. 
obviously it is a big drawback in terms of that confidence. And in terms of, I constantly find myself selling myself short or, um, you know, somebody will say, Hey, I'll pay you this to do this job. And I'll be like, Oh no, no, no. That's way too much. Like that. that I don't, I don't deserve that. You know, you're overpaying Man, me. Or really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's actually very much money, but I'm saying that sometimes yeah. my, my gauge of what my time is worth gets so low, you know, and I feel mm. so inefficient sometimes that I feel guilty, you know, charging for all the hours or, or whatever. But, um, but where, where did this all start? Oh, yes. Um, so, I mean, I, I've, I've, I think like so many, if you read the statistics about people with ADHD and their ability to hold down a job and have a career and all that stuff, it's, it's, it can be pretty disheartening because mm -hmm. it is very, very difficult for people with ADHD, certainly to, to hold down a traditional job or have a traditional career in the neurotypical world because it's just not built that way. It's not, it's not built for people like us. So I, I've done I've, I've done different sort of sets of things at different periods in my life, and um, I was lucky enough not long after college to get hired um, by a certain electronics retailer that started in Minnesota and had about uh, 50 stores when I started working there. And by the time I uh, stopped working for them, they had about 1,200 stores. So it was this incredible time of of growth and expansion. And I was hired as a production assistant. Um, and somehow within a year of being hired, I was directing TV commercials. And wow. part of that was because I was naive and young enough to not know what I didn't know. And, and sort of that, that Dunning-Kruger effect of like, hell, I can do that. Yes, I can <laughs> absolutely do mm -hmm. that. But the other thing, the, the, the actual, you know, the, the positive side of that is if you know the phrase, uh, the best way to have good ideas is to have lots of ideas. Um, that That's kind of the way that I tend to operate in every creative thing that I do. So if if uh, if writing one uh, pitch for uh, an ad is good, then writing five is better. Mm -hmm. and, and that was just kind of the way I did it. So, you know, there'd be, we were doing all these grand openings and everything was just moving lightning fast. And, you know, the creative director would come in and say, we need such and such, you know, the thing has to shoot next Thursday and blah, blah, blah. And I would just go back and I write all these different ideas and, and almost like the priorities being on equal footing. Like I didn't necessarily know, like, this is a really great idea and this one kind of sucks. I would just present them all and be like, here's what I think. And eventually some of those started getting chosen and the, you know, the creative director would say, Hey, that, you know, this one's pretty good. Let's, let's flesh this one out a little bit more. Let's try that. And um, again, because it was such a period of growth and everything else, the, the company was kind of flying by the seat of its pants, which hmm. definitely frightened some people, you know, some corporate people were not prepared for that and not ready for that at all and saw a lot of it as risky and, and challenging and difficult. And, and for me, I was like, chaos perfect let's mm -hmm. go let's do this so um it was partly right place at the right time and it was partly um it was there was obviously some talents and some ability in there somewhere um but you know part of it was just getting it out there over and over and over i, I thankfully i've never had that problem of working on something till it's perfect i know some people with adhd 
you know, maybe you're writing a poem and you're on the 57th draft and you're like, no, I know this can still be better. I'm going to do it one more time. So that's mm -hmm. not, I've managed to avoid that one somehow. And, and I'm more willing to just sort of throw stuff out there, see what happens. Most of the time I cannot take it personally if it gets criticized and I can just say, okay, I'll just come up with another idea and try again. Not always, obviously, but you know, I can generally do that. So, so that was um, part of it that worked to my advantage. But then going back to the masking thing, the difficulty with working in film for me, I, I wasn't trained in this at all. I, I had, had no idea what was going on. So I, you know, people would ask questions and I would have a lot of the, oh, that's a really good question. What do you think? You know, and then just wait for them to give me the answer. And then I'd be like, oh, I was thinking that too. Yeah, let's do that. that right. <laughs> um, but uh, the point is, you know, on a film crew, uh, here, here I'm the director. I'm the one with the creative vision, you know, and again, going back to that archetype, it's like, I'm too important to touch anything or move anything. I'm just <laughs> stand there and, and look at everything and tell people what to do. It well, does a lot, you know, <laughs> hand on the chin. I'm thinking deeply. Yes, exactly. Don't, <laughs> don't say anything. He's really deep in thought. Mm -hmm. I, could be, I could be like, huh, tuna sandwich or turkey club? For a <laughs> don't bother him. He's in the middle of it. But... Um, but because of the way film crews are structured, I had all these people around me that were really, really good at their jobs. And I didn't need to be organized. I didn't need to have a sense of how much time certain things took and all of that kind of stuff. That was all getting outsourced onto somebody else. Mm. And I was in this incredibly fortunate position to just sort of say, here's my creative vision. Let's go forth and accomplish it. And, um, <laughs> because I'm so used to flying by the seat of my pants. It's just like, okay, let's just, let's just keep faking our way. You know, the fake it till you make it. Uh, I just kept faking it even after I made it. I just, <laughs> you know, so um, it was a blast and it was really fun. Uh, but at a certain point, like anything else, um, it just kind of ran its course. And because I have ADHD, I was like, okay, done that. Let's, let's move on. Let's go find something else. You know, mm. I know I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to sit around in my underwear all day and, and write ad copy. So. Um, <laughs> Do you find that though? Like once you're done with something, you're truly done and no amount of willpower can bring you back to that thing. Like that you just have to go to the next. That is exactly what happened. There was one day, mm. And I, I just got to this point where I was like, I've really had a lot of fun doing this. I love the people I work with. The clients are generally tolerable. You know, we can <laughs> deal with them. Um, but yeah, it's just, I was just, it was like nothing could excite me about it anymore. And I just, I knew it was time. I wasn't having any, in, having fun. And I just knew it was time for me to move on. And mm. um this was a long, long time before COVID. This was you know, 10 years ago, maybe even closer to 15 years ago. Mm. I just decided that I wanted to work at home, set my own schedule, do my own thing. So I really shifted consciously to trying to write advertising copy and website copy and all that kind of stuff that I could do. I could do it at eight in the morning if I wanted to, or I could do it at 10 at night if I wanted to and just run with that. Um, because again, that hyper-focus thing, there would be times when I could sit down and bang out five hours of copy straight without getting up from my chair. But there might be days when I could sit down and write and I, you know, uh, the old Oscar Wilde 
wild statement. You know, this morning I put in a comma after lunch, I took it out. You know, it's like there would be a whole day where I changed two words or something, you know, so. Um, mm. And I know you've talked about that too, of sort of letting, letting the environment or your brain or whatever sort of dictate what that, what might be good for that day. And there's definitely now still days where I'm like, okay, I just, I, I can't write. I don't know what's going on. There's too much clutter, whatever. All right. I'll pay bills. I'll, I'll uh, hmm. send a couple of emails that I need to get out to people that, you know, are really low brain activity, just <laughs> stuff and do that kind of thing. Um, the stuff that I don't necessarily like, but has to get done. Yeah. Just because that's kind of all I'm up for in that given day. Yeah, when you can't create, you can administrate, right? Like you can just like go in and just do those kind of rote things that don't require that much creative energy. But then you get that feeling of like, tick, got some shit done. (laughs) Sent that email. I don't get that joy of like, hey, I got that off my to-do list. I don't know. I don't know if if in all of your readings and stuff, but um, I've been told my understanding is that whatever's going on biochemically the ADHD brain doesn't really get that endorphin or that dopamine rush for getting something done off the to-do list. And, and I definitely feel that way. It could be like, hmm. yes, I just finished writing the great American novel. Oh, well, let's move on. What's, what, you know, what are we doing next? It's, there's, there's not that, there's not a natural sense of like, I'm done with that. What a relief. How great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I can't, I can't fake it. It just, you know, like I get done with my taxes and I'm like, oh, taxes are done. Let's move on. You know, as opposed to like, oh my God, it's done. I'm free. You know, it, it, it just doesn't happen in my brain. So I literally don't know what that's like to have that satisfaction of crossing stuff off the list. Yeah. Moving from the to do to the done in the spreadsheet or whatever. That's yeah. I don't know, but Jordan, you set up these like amazing spreadsheets to keep things on task, like with us, like on the, on the podcast, but then also for your own life. Do you get a buzz from that? Like when you see that shit's like done? It's interesting. Like not really. Um, because so, so I should be over the moon today because last night I stayed up late and knocked out a piece of work that I've literally been blocked on for eight weeks. I've been trying to get this shit done since april and and just been at a standstill on it i know what i need to do but i've just it just feels overwhelming and i finally got through that last night and you know got to cross this thing off and all i can feel like is like oh my god look at all these other things on the list now that i gotta do <laughs> like and and really like i like i said I, I should be over the moon about this i've got some money coming in you know uh someone's getting something that of value and i'm kind of getting back in the saddle of of getting production done after you know like a kind of low spell in my life um and and so yeah i should feel really good about that but it's just like you gotta but you gotta do this other thing now and and what about these other things that you've been neglecting and uh but then you know are those the things that i'm going to be doing no it's way more important to like oh i see that dust bunny i better like get the broom out and make sure my whole place is spotless and like you know all these other kinds of things just just so you know there's there's some some ball being pushed forward, but maybe not necessarily the one. And then the to do list just kind of keeps 
looming in the meantime. Yeah, I don't really want to think about um, things that I've been meaning to do. And I know this sounds hyper flaky and Jordan, I brought it up before, but it's Mercury retrograde and it's supposed <laughs> to be a time of review and not a time of getting projects done or started. Sometimes you can finish projects, but you're not supposed to start anything. Just sit in your sort of featured cesspool of self-loathing and just like <laughs> not really I'm, I'm mostly joking about that but yeah like this mostly, idea of like mostly joking mostly joking um but yeah I don't, I, don't, I don't know John if um you know you've had this like sort of really rich creative career and I would imagine that you've you've encountered a lot of people that have some interesting ways of looking at the world like does some of that kind of rub off on you and that your perspective gets changed that's a really good question. Um, my perspective definitely gets changed. I suppose it does, but probably in that way that I'm not necessarily conscious of it. Mm. Um, probably in that way that I think uh, a lot of us with ADHD just sort of absorb things from the environment. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, Yeah, I mean, definitely there's, that's the one thing I think when you, when well, probably just about anything, but when you work in creative fields, you can learn very quickly that there's far from one way to do things. You know, mm. there's, you know, it, you're, you're going to write something and some people write their meticulous outline and do the whole thing. And there's other people that are like, oh, I got this idea. And they just sit down and jump into it and, you know, worry about outlining later or never outline it or whatever. And I think it's really fascinating to see. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned in all this time is it doesn't necessarily help somebody to say, here's what I do. Here's my process. Here's my method. Because you, A, it might not work. B, you might be pushing them down a, a road that's actually really wrong for them. And they could be trying mm -hmm. to imitate this method that just doesn't work for them at all. So, yeah, um, there's, there's almost as many different... Not quite, but there's almost as many different ways to do a project as there are projects out there. I think, hmm. you know, I used to joke about that when we were in the, when I was making TV commercials, it's like every time you got done with one, I would say, oh, well, we learned exactly how to do that TV commercial. We won't necessarily know how to do the next one better, but boy, did we learn how to do that one the right way. So hmm. um, it's not always 100%, not, not always transferable, some of those lessons. Uh. Mm -hmm. things like that and of late over the last well, i don't know five years of so, or so i've been doing a, a lot of editing or a combination of an editor project manager creative director on a lot of book projects and there are some people that they just love the feedback and you can say this section really isn't working i think you need to cut that and you, you should expand this one over here there's some people that just thrive on that and love it and then there's other people that are just like what do you mean what do you mean <laughs> Uh, and I think, uh, Robbie, it, it sort of goes back to, in a lot of cases, if somebody worked a really long time on something mm -hmm. in, in their mind, that's really good because they put all this hard work into it, right? Because our mm -hmm. Western culture prizes so much hard work and getting down there and doing the tough stuff. And if it mm -hmm. just sort of fell into place and came easy, <laughs> then again, it goes back to, well, you must have gamed the system. You were cheating somehow. It couldn't possibly come that easy. You have to work really, really hard at it. So a lot of what I'm doing now is uh, it's almost like coaching the person as much as it is working on the project. You know, there's some 
and mm. some writers and some people that need a ton of positive feedback and just constant praise. And there's others where that doesn't necessarily work where they're, you know, they, they might look at you and go, okay, stop giving me all the positive crap. I know there's a problem. Let's just cut to the chase, you know? So um, it's really just sort of figuring out where that person is coming from and figuring out the best way to help them achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. So do you feel like that was just a natural progression for you to go from the form of storytelling that would be like this group collaborative effort, like um, making commercials and working in film, uh, to working in story on the page? I know you also do like beautiful photography work. Um, so like the, the stories on the page and like the working with people like through their emotional, um, I don't know, landscape of that. Like, do you feel like the film stuff kind of was a transferable skill in a way? Because, yeah, you know. I mean, at the core of it is always storytelling, definitely. Um, mm. I think the reason specifically I've gotten into work, I, I've been thinking about this a lot in advance of this conversation, actually. And I think a lot of the reason I got in, well, there's two reasons I think I got into the editing more. Number one is, is a little bit of that, oh, my ideas aren't necessarily that great. You know, so if mm -hmm. I can take somebody else's idea, I can always see way, way more potential in somebody else's idea than I can on my own. I, mm -hmm. I, can, I can look at that work and I can say, oh, did you think of this? Or what about that? Or let's try this. And I love it. I, I really enjoy that. And the other is, I think with the ADHD, uh, the more I work in creative fields, the more I really love the brainstorming and the initial mm. idea. And then it's almost like that, you know, if you could be that auteur that just hands that off to somebody else and says, okay, go do this, you know, that would be like the perfect job, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of times, you know, if I were thinking of an idea or a story, or, it's sort of like by the time I get it worked out in my head, I'm done with it. Like, like now I don't really care because it's like, okay, I figured that one out. There's no need to get it on paper. There's all the, all the fun stuff is done. You know, let's move on to something else. Let's go look at the next one. With that responsibility of working on somebody else's project, I know I'll stick with it. I know I'll hit the deadlines. I know I'll be mm. responsible to them versus if it was myself and it was more open-ended, you know, then it can go into the, ah, we'll get to that someday. You know, let's, let's go start this other thing. We'll finish that other one up at some point, you know, that kind of thing, so. I know I gave myself a deadline, but <laughs> I gave it. So whatever, it just blows through that. Yeah. But everybody knows that's fake. Right. Everybody knows that's not a real deadline. So let's yeah. just move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jordan, I know you had a question about the yeah. project that John's working on now. Actually, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things first. Um, so when Robbie was talking about transferable skills there, one thing that I caught earlier when you were talking about your directing career was you said, oh, geez, I was in over my head, no transferable skills. But it's like you went to theater school, whether you'll acknowledge it or not, you understand blocking, you understand composition, mm -hmm. you understand when an actor has done a shitty line read and you need to get them to retake it. Like, you know, all these things, whether whether you'll kind of like give yourself the credit for knowing them or not, even if you think of it as like, I just know them intuitively which I feel mm. like I know those things intuitively. You you literally have education in it. Like that's, <laughs> that's not no skill set coming into direct uh, commercials or anything really, camera or stage. So I, I caught that, which was funny. And then something else I was interested in was um, uh, you said that um, the same way that you kind of have trouble prioritizing 
the importance of different tasks, uh, you also kind of have trouble recognizing which ideas are better or maybe more appealing than others if you're if you're writing 10 pitches in a day. And I'm curious if that if that sort of muscle of like self-editing or discernment, if that has gotten better for you um, kind of as you've gone on your career and uh, gotten older and all that stuff. Again, if it's if it's somebody else's work, absolutely. Like I could I could look at 10 manuscripts and say, OK, this one has really got something. You know, the other nine are OK, but, you know, even if we make them super amazing, the other one is still the one to work on. That's where we should put our time and energy because that one's just got huge potential. So when it's somebody else's work, I can absolutely do that. I think for my own work, it does come, but it, it takes a while. It's, the, it's that thing of maybe letting it percolate or marinate or whatever you want to call it for maybe, you know, you, you work on it, you let it sit for a couple of weeks, go back and look at it. And then I think at that point, you probably can say, okay, this is, this is just crap. Let's move on. Or you can say, you know what, there really is something here. It's that background processing thing. I think yeah. sometimes where um, you can come back to it and understand what you think you're actually trying to do um, as opposed to doing something that wasn't genuine to begin with or whatever, you know, that you were just sort of doing to get to do something or, or whatever, um, if that makes sense. So I, I do think, uh, I do think so, but, but I think the thing that pulls against that though too is people with ADHD love to solve problems. We love, to, we're people pleasers and we love to solve problems. So sometimes it's almost like, okay, this thing really sucks. Okay, damn it. I'm going to show that, that I can make that work. And I don't care if it takes a hundred hours, I'm going to work on this thing until it's the best it can be. And mm. it's that hyper focus and obsession that can, that can sort of make you spin your wheels and waste time on something that probably doesn't deserve it. So, so that, that's, mm. that's really tricky too. You know, that's definitely tricky. So, yeah, I'll show you, I can make this better. I know, I know I can make it better. I know I can. It's just like adopting all the, you know, sort of little like, abandoned projects and stuff that maybe were abandoned because they weren't ready to move forward and then like exactly. bringing them into the house and they like pee all over the floor i don't know if that <laughs> is quite the metaphor i was going to start with but that's where i went sorry it's the, it's the um, island of yeah. misfit toys the island of misfit toys from whatever christmas movie that was yeah where, yeah it's like we look at those and we go oh but that one's really got potential it's really sweet it's really lovely let's just make that one into something you know so yeah, I think it is that it's the problem solving. And mm -hmm. I, I, I think we can't underestimate the, the people pleasing part of things too, sometimes, you know. Um, but Jordan, just to go back quickly to what you said about the theater training, it's funny because that was another thing I did in those early days, especially of directing TV commercials. Uh, I knew how to talk to actors. I knew the language. I knew I knew how to really connect with them and have have those discussions and say okay this is where this line is coming from and you want to move across the the room like this because you know blah 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 and so if the if the rest of the filmmaking part of it was kind of like baffling me and and felt oppressive and I couldn't figure it out I'd be like well hang on I need to go talk to the actors to make sure they're on track and you know that they know what I want and then <laughs> somebody else would take care of all that other stuff while I was gone and they'd say okay we're lit we're ready to go and I'd be like oh great that's that's exactly the way I was going to do it that's perfect that's just what I'm doing. <laughs> 
So, um, so yeah, it did. The theater training definitely helped um, fake my way through that. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to keep saying fake my way, but that, that is a lot of what it felt like. Certainly initially, that's a lot of what it felt like. Something that I, just in that discussion about editing and kind of um, being able to build on other people's ideas, um, there, there's uh, an analogy that I always like to use in uh, role-playing games, which, you know, I was loved playing like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff as a kid and then uh, online role-playing games later. And I feel like the way I show up in my life is the same way I always show up in those games, which is as the healer class, because somebody mm -hmm. always needs the healer to come along. Mm -hmm. And so you'll always find a spot in the group and someone always wants you along, but you're never the star. You're a supporting role. You're keeping everybody else alive while they're, you know, shooting fireworks at each other and whatever else. <laughs> um, there's no glamour, but and, and it's like, thank, it's literally thankless. And you also get all the blame when things go pear-shaped a lot of the times. <laughs> but like someone always needs you and you're always like valuable to someone. I think that there's an interesting analogy to doing things like editing. And a lot of, I, I see what you're talking about uh, in terms of massaging other people's ideas as very analogous to like uh, what producers do in music where they're not, they're not the artist, but they'll kind of help the artist shape their ideas and maybe steer them in directions they wouldn't have on their own. Sure. Mm. It's funny you say that because one of my heroes is Rick Rubin. Oh yeah. You know, uh, like the stuff he did with Johnny Cash and he's just worked with such a huge variety of artists. And mm. so I kind of position him as somebody to say, what's that guy doing? How does, how does he make that work? Uh, and so there are times when I, almost consciously try to, you know, step into those shoes and sort of, again, playing that archetype, you know, here I'm the, I'm the music producer in the sound booth and, you know, the, the song is being recorded out in front of me. What's my role where, you know, more cowbell or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> always more cowbell. We can always use that. <laughs> but um, you also reminded me, I've, I've, I've uh, taught creative writing to kids a lot. Um, first of all, I really love working with kids just because of the energy and they, they don't have that cynical, jaded mindset, yet everything is still possible and wide open. Um, but I always used to joke when I first started teaching kids, I would say, well, I can keep one step ahead of them because they, they, they won't figure me out, right? Like if I'm dealing with adults, somebody might ask one of those tough questions of like, well, why is that? Why, why should I do it like that? And I'd be like, ah, crap, I don't know. I got to go. But you know, the kids, it's going to take them a while to, to catch up to me. So um, producing, be, being the Rick Rubin of children's writing, I guess. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You're just so, like rebranding yourself on the fly here. Yeah. Start a new uh, TikTok channel. I know you guys have talked about the social media thing over and over. And I just have mm. to say, I've finally gotten to the point where I think I've just thrown in the towel with that. Mm. <laughs> just, I've got too many other things nipping at my heels and telling me they need to get done. And it's, it's just, I, I can't handle it. I can't keep up with it. That's why it's like, I've pretty much blocked mine every day now for like certain chunks of the day, just because it is like, it's just too much of a vortex. And it's just another fucking admin task. Like Jordan called it that. And I was like, yeah, wait a minute. I'm doing this yeah. shit for free and giving these people all this free content. No, <laughs> I am not posting a picture from the seventies of my dad on father's day. Fuck you. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I didn't do it yesterday. I didn't post anything. Me neither. Screw you, Instagram. 
And I have a wonderful relationship with my dad. (laughs) It's funny you say that because I checked out Facebook for like two minutes yesterday and I was seeing all the gazillions of Father's Day pictures and then I was tempted. I was like, oh, I should go find a cool picture of my dad. And then I was like, what are you doing? Who gives a crap? Nobody... Nobody really cares if you post that or not. Nobody cares. You're just feeding the algorithm. Nothing exactly. is just bottomless. You can feed just feed it and feed it and feed it. Just feed the beast. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, algorithm. I don't really mean that. <laughs> Please let people see our podcast. Thank you. Bye. Hey, the Estonian algorithms, they love us. It's probably somebody with one of those like anonymous rerouters. They're, you know, they're probably in Chicago, but they're routing it through Estonia because they're doing something illegal. Oh, that's intriguing. Yeah, VPN. I hadn't thought of that, actually. That's really smart. Um, To go back to publishing for a second. So uh, we talked a little bit in this email about a project that you're kind of in its very nascent stage right now. Um, Mm. Do you want to kind of catch us up to speed on that? Robbie and I are super excited for it. Well, see, to you, it's in a nascent stage. But for me, I started working on it about two years ago, maybe even oh, wow. two and a half years ago. So um, it's one of those things, again, you know, it's like the, the, the publishing world, the recording industry, all of these things aren't necessarily set up for neurotypical people. I don't mm-hmm. know about you guys, but if I'm like going to submit a manuscript or do something like that, 15, 20 minutes into the process, I'm just overwhelmed and I can't figure out what the hell's going on. And I'm just like, screw it. You know, this, this isn't going to work. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm going to sit here for the next five years and I'm never going to send it to the right person. And I'm going to try to write the cover letter perfectly. And I'm going to spend two weeks doing that. And, you know, by that time the, they've moved on or whatever. So I did, I, in this case, I did actually try to send it. I did send it, not just tried. I sent it to a couple of traditional publishers crickets, nothing, nothing happened. So um, I'm not 100% sure at this point, but I think I'm going to do a Kickstarter and get it going. Um, Mm. And so everybody knows what we're talking about. It's, it's a a picture book about um, ADHD, uh, which hopefully takes the reader inside the mind of somebody with ADHD and how both thrilling and exciting that could be but also how it can sometimes be really close to going off the rails. And it's the ultimate message is just, as it says at the end, you're going to be okay. You know, like, like you, you didn't pick this, you know, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just the way you are. And let's, let's figure out a way to work with it the best we can and, and let it be what it is. It actually started out as an, alphabet book called a is for adhd and the gag was that um you know the first page was a is for adhd and then it would start to talk about that and then by the second page it was completely off the rails and the and the alphabet book idea was scrapped and it was on to something else and then the alphabet you know popped its head up again somewhere in the middle but it didn't last it didn't get any traction and went on it started like that then, you know, the feedback there was, well, everybody's going to think it's an actual alphabet book. And then when they open this thing, they're going to be like, what in the hell is going on here? Which mm. I can understand, I guess, from a neurotypical standpoint, but I still think it's hilarious. And I think it would have been a lot of fun, but I get it from a marketing point of view. So then it became, I think the next thing was let's talk about ADHD. And then the feedback on that was like, well, people are going to expect some real advice, you know, like this Mm. is, 
like, let's talk about it. Let's have a deep discussion about what ADHD is. And so it went back to being lighter again. Um, and just, it's, it's more, there's definitely some, there's some affirmation. There's a tiny bit of explanation as to sort of what goes on in the mind of somebody with ADHD. But I really hope that it's just kind of this immersive experience where somebody reads the book and the illustrations I, I have are going to be amazing. And it, I think it's just going to really be this thing that's just, it's like popping all over the place, but there's a certain internal logic that it also follows. And I think it does have some closure and come sort of full circle at the end. So yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. Um, it was a classic thing where I was working on something else. I don't even remember what it was, but I was, I was supposed to be working on a different project. <laughs> and this idea popped into my head. And for like the next two weeks, I just worked on that and nothing else, you know, and probably kept sending emails of like, yeah, I'm getting to it. Um, I'm working through this other thing and I'll be right back with you, you know, but, mm -hmm. and then that was one, I think Jordan to, to circle back to earlier, um, you know, when I first get done with something like that, I, I really do feel clueless of like, is this something or, or was I just super excited to be working on it? Was it that puzzle solving kind of thing? So I came back to that one. I think I let it sit for about three months and I, and I opened it back up and I was like, oh, you know, there's, I think there's something here. I think, th I think this actually could be something. So um, uncharacteristically, I didn't uh, try to get it out into the world all over the place right immediately that second. And I uh, sort of stepped back and, and, and I've been working on it a little bit more methodically. So, yeah, I mean, um, I'd like to say, hopefully maybe sometime this fall, I'll, I'll launch a Kickstarter and, and we can uh, share more information about it and people can get a, get a look at what the illustration style is like and everything like that. As you probably figured out, I love graphic novels. Um, I'm mm. all about comics and graphic novels. I think they're the greatest thing ever. And I have a really, really hard time actually at this point in my life reading books that don't have pictures. So, um, so it's going to have a little bit of that quality, a little bit of a picture book quality to it. Uh, because I'm also a firm believer that picture books are not just for kids. I think that picture books mm -hmm. can do a lot for adults too. And it, and it kind of goes back to the different learning styles and things like that, right? Like not everybody's going to open up a ADHD self-help book and go, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Oh, I can relate to that. Oh, I, I that. So it, it's just, it's kind of a fun, lighter way to maybe broach the topic. It's kind of like this podcast, you know, it, it, it's just meant to be a platform for discussion and dialogue and mm -hmm. sharing experiences and, and things like that. And to bring it out into the light of day rather than have it just sort of be hidden. And to create what you need to see in the world sometimes, right? Like, cause I, when I was first diagnosed in November, 2020, I started Googling and looking through podcasts and so many of them were just like, and there's nothing, and this is a, like a very much like I'm kind of uh, <laughs> kind of saving myself here by saying like people need ADHD coaches. I know you work with one and like I want to work with one when the means are, are there financially. Um, but I was just coming across ADHD podcasts that were just like marketing platforms for ADHD coaches. So they were just yes, like, right. go to my website, do this, sign up for this, right. do this class. And that was not helpful for me. That's not what I wanted at that time. Yeah. I already had the stack of library books and all the books, you know, things trying to get myself informed. So 
for me, that wasn't the right route, but I know it would probably help somebody who is in that state of like, I need a coach and I need um, right. Right. somebody to kind of guide the process of it. Um, but yeah, it's like doing this thing with Jordan has just been so much more delightful, right? Because we can have a good time with him. We can make some jokes and we can laugh um, and invite people into our interior world. And that was what really, um, uh, and Jordan said this too, and I'm sure he wants to add to it, but like that, that that's what your your book is is doing that a lot of the books are not. A lot of the books focus on the science and rightly so, like we need to understand how these brains of ours work. They don't focus on that kind of, that rich inner life that's going on, like underneath the fidgeting and the staring yeah. off into space. There's a lot going on there, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And to double back to something you said, John, um, about uh, these, these deep discussions and the publisher wanting it to be a more serious advice oriented approach. I honestly think that advice and discussion are antonyms. Um, I think that, that if you're, if you're having a serious deep discussion, it's not from a place of, of advice and trying to solve each other's problems and kind of mm. like, Oh, here's it. Here's this one size fits all tool. Like it's way more about, about, like you said, um, discovering your own systems and, and, and ways to organize your life that works for your brain. It's going to be individual to, to you. And, and in the same way, just kind of like, yeah, um, getting that discussion and, and processing that stuff and, and the same way in talk therapy, coming to the answers yourself rather than getting handed these stone tablets from Moses. And then you find <laughs> out that Christianity is not really your thing. Go yeah. forth and part the Red Sea. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when when I book uh, when I was living here in Minneapolis, I was part of an adult uh, ADHD group that met mm. every single week. Actually, I usually ended up only going maybe a couple of times a month, but but it was really helpful in in the way that you're talking about, where you could hear what some other people were doing. You know, maybe you don't, maybe you have a sense that that's not going to work for you exactly, but at least gives you something. It gives you a model that you can say oh, well, what if I took that system and kind of did this to have it work for me a little bit better or whatever. And um, <laughs> if you're like me, you'll get a system, you'll use it for about three months, it'll be working just fine. And then you'll say, ah, screw that, let's figure out something else. I'm almost like I'm teetering on the edge of restlessness that could potentially become boredom. So I better like tear this all apart and start over. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. God forbid oh. we should get restless. There's mm. been so much to relate to today, John. And yeah, I just really wanted to say thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us. And yeah, and just like, it's great to have uh, an unfamiliar face join us. And uh, I think that the listeners are going to find a lot of value in today's discussion. Great. Mm. I hope so. I hope so. I was just going to ask if you have anything to plug in the way of like a website you want to send people to <laughs> or, or some way to funnel you money, that kind of thing. No, I don't. There's, there's a couple of, of, of uh, websites out there that have weeds growing up around them that haven't been attended to for quite a while. So, you know, whatever, hit the Google if you want, you can kind of see what I'm working on. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll come back in the fall with uh, some good news and say, here, this is, this is how you can funnel me money. Send, send Kickstarter money to this project. I, I appreciate the time. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, 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 uh, it's like, I'm a fan and now I'm part of the show. Ah, I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I must say that first email that you sent, like, just like when that landed and Jordan shared it with me, I was just like goosebumps because that's exactly why we're doing it. Right. It's like, so that people can hear that. And that permanent potential thing is something that I still struggle with. So that 
for that resonating for you just meant a lot. And that for you making the time when you're, you know, on the other side of the US and Minneapolis and what's going on there and all the intensity of that. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking this time with us today. I know people are going to love this. I can't wait to listen to it, except I'll just like mute myself. You're very welcome. And I, I actually, this was, was one thing I meant, meant to say earlier. And, and now I can turn it into this really wise closing comment that I've Beautiful. been thinking about all day. Um, I think so many of these things are, whether you want to look at it as yin and yang or a double-edged sword or whatever, and, and permanent potential is, is really perfect example. Like that can be really, really tremendously frustrating. And, and you can kind of get into that rut where it's like, oh, I never do anything. I haven't done anything. I'm a failure and all that stuff. But the upside of all of that is that permanent potential. Think, think about what that means. There's always something out there that you can work on. There's always something mm -hmm. new that you can try. There's always a place where you can channel all that creativity and all that energy and all that positivity. So believe me, I'm not saying I can always look at the upside and I, you know, I'm Mr. Happy go lucky all the time, but um, you know, I think it's just really important to, to, to keep it in mind that for so many of these sort of negative things that we experience with ADHD, there's, there's equally positive and equally uplifting and inspiring things too. Absolutely. And Jordan, there's our, uh, there's our soundbite for uh, promoting the episode this week, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, one more time in Estonian and then we'll let you go. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive. <laughs>